the Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 35. Deleted Scenes 2019. Hello boys and girls, this edition is a collection of deleted segments from the first 18 months of our podcast. Some bits are interesting, some are silly, some are way off topic, and some are just odd curios that never got used. Episode 9 was the first instance of a pre-credits warning that our language and behaviour were a little below par due to fermentation issues. Several versions of the warning were recorded and are presented here along with an unused version of the opening titles. Also presented here for the first time is an alternate jingle for the tonic screwdriver and a different version of the Black Archive door. This podcast was recorded following prolonged exposure to the wine vortex. Listener discretion is advised. The Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in wine and space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. This podcast was recorded following prolonged exposure to the wine vortex. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast was recorded following prolonged exposure to the wine vortex. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 12 covered the Doctor Who story, The War Games, from the very end of Patrick Troughton's era. And here are some bits of conversation that ended up being chopped out. I have to say, he is... There's and him that weird and medallion thing that... Which? Ah, now. Yeah. Yes. Zephon's medallion from Dalek's Master Plan. Is it? it oh, is. and are the guns the Dravin guns from Galaxy uh, 4? That I don't know, but I only know that because of reading. Because I, I was... after Before we've got to the end of this, I had looked on... Oh, that gym's lovely. Various sites. We've done the review, haven't we? I'm so pissed now, I can't remember. <laughs> um, only on the first episode that we're seeing <laughs> This is only the first episode we've watched. Like, oh my God. We are now nearly four hours in and we've only watched one episode. We should do Terror of the Vervoids at some time because I love that story. It's the only bit of it I love. But it, Ultimate Foe's not bad. It's not bad, but I don't love it. Whereas Agatha Christie in Space is always going to hit several of my buttons. Yeah, even alien, if, even, aliens choking to death on coffee. Even if it's not particularly good Agatha Christie in Space, it's still Agatha Christie in Space. We're getting horribly off We're topic. Segwaying massively. Let's move on to episode eight. The Doctor is finally captured and interrogated, but the machinery is useless. The War Chief finally gets around to half explaining his plan and still not fully. Some nice scenes between... God, I can't read my own writing here. I haven't a clue what that says. Somebody in the Doctor, anyway. Uh, the first real talk of life before he left Gallifrey. What did he say? That. The first, some nice scenes between... Oh, him. Oh, right, the War Chief. There's some nice scenes between the War Chief and the Doctor. God, your writing's terrible. It's, terrible. I mean, it's dreadful. My writing's awful, but it's not that bad. 
And, but the, this is... I know, again, reading my notes, suddenly all pretense is gone. And all the, the people in each war zone seem to be aware that they've been plucked out and they are in war zones. Yeah, but isn't that because they're selectively talking to somebody in the House of Commons in thigh-high black leather boots? We're cross-referencing here, boys and girls. Uh, BBC Parliament's on in the background, and a lot of people who are... It's not that old bloke. Um, well over a thousand years old are in the House of Lords. No, there was a woman in the front row with thigh-high boots. Either Betty Boothroyd, probably. Anyway. Um, and Whittacombe. And now you've got mental image. Jesus, that's me needing to see Alice for the next few months. Christ. Um, anyway, back to the war games. And far more information than I ever needed. Oh, Jesus. And with him in thigh high boots. No. I didn't say there wasn't anything else. Well, I can't think of anything else now. What on earth's going on? Right, I'm just going to cut across here, boys and girls. We've got BBC Parliament, which has somehow popped on in the background while the DVD rests a while is flashing up scenes between the House of Lords and the House of Commons, and there's an awful lot of shots of people wearing leather. What's going on in Parliament these days? Mr Chumley Warner. It's probably best not to ask too far. Hello, I'll see you in my chamber. That was really, really lovely. Really well done. Uncle Terence and Malcolm Hulk. Yeah, love, yeah, lovely stuff. Pulled a blinder on that one. As I've said, if it ended there, I would have been happy with that as an entire series resolution. As it stands, thankfully, it went on, and we are still here in 2019 talking about future series. A testament to you all. And producers of the next series, have a look back at this and see how it's done. Because you want gobsmacking, you're not going to get better than this. Episode 13 looked at Quatermass and the Pit, and this brief link was unsurprisingly edited out. Before we sign off this podcast, we've got a letter here from one of our listeners that says, Dear Simon and Ken, please could you fix it for me? <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, I'm getting, I'm getting a no. You're, you're yeah, giving a take that out of the podcast. Take, remove this immediately. Yes, um, Absolutely. Episode 15 was Image of the Fendal, and in this brief edit, Simon is so overcome with memories of a missing story being recovered that he momentarily forgets how to speak. Tomb of the Cybermen Syndrome, where the thing actually turns up and everybody's a little bit disappointed with how it actually looks compared to how it looked in their heads. I wasn't. I, I loved to... It, I was, it was in my um, top three wish list. Mm. This is a deleted segment from the end of a Sophie Aldred interview in 2007 from episode 17. In it, we hear Big Finish's John Ainsworth auctioning off a piece of original Doctor Who artwork. Right, well, we'll come to the moment where we're going to do a little auction, uh, which you guys can help us out with. And John has brought some fantastic auction prizes along. I'll let John um, explain. Uh, this is very interesting. Right, this is nothing to do with Big Finish. Uh, long before Big Finish, I used to work for the BBC. In fact, I used to work for the BBC when Sophie was making Doctor Who. Mm. And I worked in the set design department. And... This is an original set design drawing from Peter Davison's story, Enlightenment. And the reason I've got it is because they obviously the BBC produced tons of uh, designs and they would just bin them. So I rescued a number of them. This is one of them. Um, it is the original. It's not a print. The, the prints would be, this would go through the, uh, the big printing machine. And this is, I think, 
it's a long time since I've seen Enlightenment, but I think uh, Rack had, on her pirate ship, she communicated with the Black Guardian with this sort of eye thing, and I think that's the picture of the eye. You probably can't see it very well here. And those things, and those things written in red were the, there was big flashing signs when she activated this, this device. It wasn't the eye. No, it was, she, that's what she used to destroy the other ships, wasn't it? Anyway, they write an original set design drawing from Doctor Who Enlightenment. In it all, £30 going once, going twice, sold that gem over £30. Thank you very much. In episode 18, we looked at the animated version of the Doctor Who story, The Macra Terror, and on recording break, took another swipe at one of the biggest gin-related disappointments, Mason's Yorkshire Tea Gin. This sequence also features a link for the story Gridlock, which, for reasons I can't remember, was never used. Top you up, eh? Oh, go on. See, even things from Yorkshire can be salvaged mm. with a teapot. Yes, it doesn't excuse them in the first place, though. First one out of five gin. Dear, oh dear. Rescued by a Tesco's red berry fruit tea bag. That's the 70 pence a box. That's how low that it's sunk. And this was going to be the your treat this for... This was going to be the one. For him during the corridor people. Just imagine if you had to put up with that. Fuck! the corridor people. Fuck! Now, we've... That's the end of Macra Terror. But it's but not the end of the Macra. It's not. It they did appear in one other story, which was 2007's Gridlock. Now, it would be a bit remiss of us to not do something. We are nothing if not completist. Uh, yes, OCD is our joint middle name. <laughs> so we're going to watch the David Tennant's adventure just for completeness and give you a little rundown on it after yeah. that. It's not going to be a full commentary, but we will tell you what we think. See you on the flip side. Episode 23 covered A for Andromeda, and in a brief exchange about the difference between the Extermos experiment and Round the Archives podcasts, we somehow briefly drift into the world of fashion. Andy and Lisa always look at Genome for their for the episodes they're doing and talk about what else was on, on that night. They're much more organised than we are. They, they are. We, I mean, we, we are very we, much... We tip up, we put a DVD on, slosh out the gin and then... Enjoy ourselves. I mean, this is just... It's obscene, really, what we're doing on these podcasts. No, it really isn't obscene. So <laughs> don't be getting any kind of unnecessary mental images. We're both sat here naked in gimp masks. You're wearing gimp masks, that's not naked. Anyway, moving on. We're not. We're, we're sat very cosy by a log burner with copious amounts of alcohol. And a very nice Genki Gear t-shirt. Yes. Moving on. <laughs> on, the, on the subject of geekiness. Recording for episode 26 involved our first use of remote recording, with me at home in Rishton and Simon in Stoke. What follows is a behind-the-scenes conversation that gives a little insight into how podcasting is planned, and also marks a moment that a spin-off was born. Let's see how we go with this. I've, the Gremlins have been very much in the work tonight, so I don't know why it's taking such a, a bloody long time to get there. How, how's Outland doing for... It isn't doing it at stuff? all. It's pathetic. I fell asleep when I got home from work, and I've more or less only just got up. So I am yep. wide awake, and I'm going to have a few hours cutting Outland and hopefully finish it in the morning, because it's. I've been looking forward to this for so long. I can't actually remember the last time I looked forward to one as much as I'm looking forward to Outland. Well, Having you asked that, me to I... bump it forward, and I had no qualms about doing it, because it was so much fun. Did your mate ever get to watch any of it? 
No, but I've not given him the disc yet. Uh, it's his wedding end of this month. So they're getting a sort of stocking filler wedding present uh, alongside the proper one. But he knows it's coming. So just because this is an idea that's been burbling about in my mind, you, you think he's keen to get involved and do an episode? Oh, very much, yeah. He's fallen in love with the podcast. So, Well, what I was thinking, shoot this down in flames if you think it's a bit too ambitious. Go on. But if he fits in well with an episode of the podcast, there would be a possibility to do a spin-off because we've been talking about looking at films for ages. Yes. And we could do a sort of monthly spin-off uh, looking at puffy films. There are loads and loads of really good ones. If, if you'd be up for it, if he'd be up for it, if he, if he fits in well, I've even thought of a name for the podcast. Which is? The Three-Way Cinema Club. <laughs> I think if we did it as a, an irregular thing, yeah, we could probably do it. I think for, for an evening, we'd mm -hmm. be able to get through, if we cracked right the way through, Three films, which would give, give you three months' worth and just half an hour per film. But there are some absolutely wonderful films. And ones with a fairly peripheral, puffy edge. Or just absolutely camp as fuck. So something like um, <laughs> Elvira, Mr. the Dark, which doesn't have any gay themes whatsoever. But it is unbelievably camp and really quite filthy. Well, if that's the route you want to go down, there's something I've never seen, which you're going to be horrified. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yeah, um, I, I think do a, a whole do a, a mix of mainstream ones like that, but also more obscure ones. Because I was talking about all the Queen's Men, which is so bad it's hilarious. It's a it's Matt LeBlanc trying to do a, a war action film, but it's also Eddie Izzard doing a drag film with James Cosmo <laughs> stuck somewhere between the two, and it's about a group of. British and American spies who go to try and steal an Enigma machine from the factory in Germany. The factory in Germany only has female employees. They have to do it in drag. It is two different actors trying to do two very different films. Uh, Matt LeBlanc doing fight scenes in drag is just hilarious. I think you might have sold this to me. I'll put it to him, um, but I think he'd love to do it. He's developed a real obsession with podcasts. So if we can harness that, he'd be great to have on board. We, we can do drag-themed stuff. How how would he feel about um, an audience with? Well, like Ken Dodd and what have you. Oh, yeah. I think he'd love it. Because we could do some of those. I've got a load of them. I've got Ken Dodd. I've got Kenneth Williams. I've got Joan Rivers, Victoria Wood. I've, I've got a load of them. And we could we could easily, easily do an episode full of those. Oh, well, in that case, then, yeah. Yes. I, I, well, I'd be up for that. Uh, but I'm fairly sure he would be. So if we were to do a trial, trial run of drag queeny stuff, and that, I guess it depends how much time he'd be able to put to it at, of an evening, because obviously he's got kiddies to look after and everything. Yeah, but I mean, I'm sure he'd be happy to pop over for a couple of hours, even if it was just that, even if me and you... Yeah, okay, I'm why, fairly sure he'd be up for it. Why, do, why don't we do an evening with the um, the drag queen-themed episode and his choice of a Matt Smith, as long as it's single episode and not written, written by Gareth Roberts? And then, depending on how it how it meshes, how he likes it, how he likes the end result, we we can suggest the, uh, the Cinema Club thing. But there are loads and loads of Puffy and Camp films that I absolutely adore that Alan won't watch because I've already seen them. And his attitude is, if either of us have already seen a film, then we don't watch it. There are films like Elvira I could watch over and over and over and over again. We've also got, or I've got the new Blu-rays of the Peter Cushing Doc uh, Doctor Who films. Oh, really? 
Oh, how do they look? Beautiful. I'm so tempted, but I bought them about four times already. And I just think, can I really justify it? But they are absolutely as camp as fuck. Yeah, particularly the first one. Right. Um, Shall we record? The the second one actually has the Robo-Men in the gimp suits. Mm, Yes, Um, and the PVC fetish suits. (laughs) Yeah, whereas whereas the first one has the... um, the valves in drag and blue eye makeup, leather gear and <laughs> massive eye makeup. Yeah, I mean they they don't know how to blend properly, but uh, you know, it's just <laughs> let's record this. Excellent, thank you very much. We've got thirty five minutes worth of material there to cut down. I think the first ten minutes or so was us just waffling, so that should cut down so nicely. We've been extra. talking for over half an hour. Oh yeah, comfortably. Jesus. So I'll trim that down. I'm just wondering. I'll cut it down and see how it cuts out. Um, my inclination, and I know you're not well keen on doing this, but on. my inclination would be to do the fandom episode. So, Undermind, uh, not Undermind, um, Outland and Cruise of the Gods mm-hmm. as episode. Are we up to 25 now? 25, yeah. As 25, and then do 25A for Terran Sticks. And, yes, and- could do that. <laughs> And, and do it as a 10, 15, 20-minute, whatever, add-on. Yeah, it could do. I've no problem with that, yeah. I'm really looking forward to listening to Outland. So and Alan, Alan really likes Outland, and I'm going to come back here after I finish work tomorrow, um, and then we're going to have tea, and I'm going to head back up to, to Hull. So if it would be avail- available and uploaded for then, that would be absolutely perfect. Yeah, um, I'll, I will then, crack on and try and get it done. Okay, in which case I will stop yabbering on. <laughs> leave you to do stuff all right oh thanks for that and thanks for the gin as well oh and thanks for the box set that was brilliant no no problem um i've, I've always said i'm prepared to underwrite the costs of the the podcast and as far as i'm concerned the bottom line okay i, I love the fact that we're getting daily listens from whoever and wherever and it seems to be fairly varied we're getting known on sort of wider applications but the bottom line is it's supposed to be fun for us which it is thankfully i mean I've, i'm getting and have been for quite a long time wildly enthusiastic about this whole podcast thing mm. um and i know i'm i'm probably a bit more enthusiastic about the sort of the wider distribution than you are it's more the time i would love to nothing would give me greater pleasure than to work on this day in day out because i would just podcast as a full-time job it's marvelous it's uh, unfortunately real life just had to get in the way at times it's a yeah. shame because i really love doing it the few weeks ago when um i got two or three banged out within the space of 10 days oh that was marvelous i sit here just smiling like an idiot at our conversations we're clearly enjoying ourselves i enjoy listening to it and i know that there's people out there certainly you and alan you know you listen to these things and you're smiling too so it's worth it for that In episode 27, we looked at the Doctor Who story The War Machines and somehow managed to do one of our famous segues looking at the companions. Hello, Liz Liz Shaw gets less of an exit. Is that even ever... Is that actually referred to? Nope. She's just not there and Joe Grant appears. Mm. I I don't think it's even said she's gone back to Cambridge or anything like that. And then she tips up in um, The Five Doctors as one of the images. Oh, yes, she does, yeah. It was only when we were re-watching Five Doctors that I realised, when you pointed it out, very few 60s companions in it. I don't know. There's Jamie and Zoe. There's... They get uh, a cough and a spit. Yeah, but so does um, Liz and Fisher. There, there's Susan. There's the Brigadier. They actually, the 60s companions get better, kind of get a better showing than the 70s companions. Oh, actually, no, it was Dimensions in Time, wasn't it? That was the, the 60s. Com- there's only Susan really crops and up. Victoria. And Victoria. The, the nice thing that that's happening, having just said how 
poorly Dodo is treated as a character is that Ben and Polly are getting some really nice character yeah, development. Yeah, they are. And um, the whole sequence with Polly letting Ben go and mm. that was beautifully done. Fantastically acted between the two of them. I mean, they're, they're up against some stiff competition. I love Ian Chesterton as a character mm. and Stephen Taylor as a character. The female characters are all pretty poor. The only one that's really any good is Barbara. She's... I mean, Vicky and Dodo are given nothing to do. Mm. Um, Katerina, it's, it's not even worth mentioning. Sarah. Oh, to be no, to be fair, yes. I think if they'd have run with Sarah Kingdom, they might actually have got something decent. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, she was good. And she bounced very well off uh, Stephen Taylor. Yeah. yeah. But... Ben and Polly remain my favourite sixties pairing. Uh, ben and Polly are my favourite companions. Full stop. To be honest, as a duo, because I'm, I've never been overly keen on the whole two companions, three companions thing. It, it's never really been as good as one companion and the Doctor. You've got the mm. the third Doctor and Joe, the fourth Doctor and Sarah. Yeah, that works. But so does Trout and Ben and Polly. Yeah, but that was that was where I was coming to. Mm. Ben and Polly are the only ones that really work as a as a double. Uh, so, uh, Sarah and Stephen, I think if they'd have been given enough to go on, that could have been a pretty good pairing. And Ian and Barbara, that that works quite well. But although they never really, well, they, they were never on. No, it was never just the three of them. Yeah. Because as soon as Susan left, then Vicky was parachuted in. And again, the uh, Nissa and Tegan. That work that did work quite well. Although Nissa was given nothing of any note to do on screen, off screen on the big finish stuff, she's developed into an interesting character. Uh, on screen, no. But I think that if if it had just been Tegan and the Doctor, that could have been brilliant. But John Nathan Turner had this thing about filling it full of ballast companions, and it never worked. And the one story that he did finally get one companion to himself, it regenerated. But Ben and Polly, it just works. It's just a terrible shame. Romana 2 and Adric kind of works. Yeah, only in a case of Romana being quite high and mighty, trying not to kill this irritating little boy that stumbled aboard the TARDIS. I don't know. I think it works well in State of Decay. I just don't like Adric as a character. We may ruminate on why he was cast as a character. Yeah, we, we've, we've talked we, about that plenty in the past. <laughs> But, no, a terrible mistake. Because it's been levelled at, at that whole season, season 18, that Romana got just a little bit too clever. With K-9, they were unstoppable. Personally speaking, I think it worked. It gave a scientific depth to it that they'd not had before. And I like a companion who's prepared to stand up to the Doctor. Yeah. I mean, coming to the, the modern era, it's the, the real shame about Donna. Well, she was the one that I was just thinking about, Donna Noble. Yeah, she, she's a fantastically written character. 95% of the time, she's a well-played character because she's played fairly one-dimensionally. It's Bolshe Donna um, shouting at the Doctor. Now, this is nothing against Catherine Tate because she's a comedian, she's not an actress. Mm. And she's, she's used to playing char- very caricatured parts as part of her, as part of her normal um, job. Mm. The times when she's ne- when she needs to um, give a performance that needs emotional subtlety rather than shouting, she really struggles, and it's because that's not her what her main job is. Mm. Uh, and a comedian needs a different set of skills in terms of performance to a, an actress. And the the, re- the the most telling thing about it 
is that final bit of the silence, silence in the, the library, library. Uh, where she has to say goodbye to the, the kids. She's supposed to genuinely believe that they're hers, but at the same time, intellectually know that they're not. Mm. And there should be a massive conflict in that. And the performance is incredibly flat. It's, it's clearly stuck out to you a lot more than me. I don't remember that, but I haven't seen it for years. So I, I, yeah. I haven't seen it since you've said that, which you've said on more than one occasion. That scene ruined Silence in the Library for me. And okay, the, the Vashti and Arada are one of those Doctor Who enemies that logically make no sense, but actually look pretty good. <laughs> um, the, the setting of the library I really like, yeah. even though ultimately it's uh, we woke up and it was all a dream. Done well, I don't have a problem with that plot. That That's the plot of The Matrix, and I love The Matrix. Mm. So as long as it's not done every single time, I have no problem with that yeah. as, a, as a plot device. It's a, it's a staple and a cliche of science fiction, but staples and cliches of science fiction tend to be there because they, they can work well. Story-wise, I like silence in the library, mm. but that scene with Donna and the children um, wrecks it for me. Have we segued far enough? We've, we've done a long segue from this. Should we drag it back to episode four? Let's drag it back to episode four, where we have companions who won't shout at the Doctor and are lovely and fluffy. Although, actually, with particularly when it comes to Troughton, you just get the the impression that the, the TARDIS team was a, a group of friends on a jolly. In episode 29, during our Halloween special, we drifted a little off-topic into the length of Doctor Who stories. Again. Uh, the Discontinuity Guide, one of the the many, many reference books that were in the 90s, uh, said that the uh, target novels, yeah, they went from 120 pages for a two-part adventure to 120 pages for a ten-part adventure. Yeah. But the War Games, it, War Games was a good, actually a good read. And uh, considering that four-fifths of the War Games is padding, I don't think we lose much in the translation. I think the four-fifths bit is a little unfair because... The War Games, had it been the way it was originally intended to be, would be an absolutely gobsmacking six-parter. Mm. The extra four parts that they crowbar into it because they'd... Um, was it the prison in space? Oh, they thank God do. we didn't get that. Yeah, but because they suddenly had to crowbar, crowbar in an extra four episodes, then on modern viewing, it's quite repetitive. As I said, when we did the War Games... It was never intended to be watched as one ten-episode wodge of yeah of, of, marathon. Um, if you watch the war games, an episode or a couple of episodes at a time, it really holds itself together. Mm. It's a, a fantastic, engaging storyline. Okay, you you try and condense that, then you'll get the repetition. But you know, you watch four episodes all at once. You're watching a month's worth of original mm. broadcasting. Within the space of an hour and a half. And so things that wouldn't have appeared repetitive at the time that they were broadcast, that's the way they come across. Because you're not watching it the way it was designed to be watched. And even with that, they cobbled in a load of extra stuff. There's no extra cost. During the first recording session for our Brexit special, we had a chat about segments for a potential best-of showreel. The Brexit episode was our 29th edition, and at the time of recording, episode 13 was still being edited, which gives some idea about how far in advance our podcasts are planned. Testing. Yeah, that'll do. Hacker. <laughs> oh, Judy Lowe. Go on, remind me. Richard, Richard Beckinsale's widow. I did not know that. No idea. And the first assistant in Ace of Wands. 
Unfortunately, none of her episodes survive. It always pays to read the credits. And have you heard any of Neil Perryman's ones? I only became aware of this purely by accident because it was on a forum that his wife had knocked John Levine's drink out of his hand or something and uh, he'd gone... He'd gone absolutely berserk, not realising that it was being recorded. Yeah. Um, and the wife in space is actually quite interesting because she's a, she's a lecturer in... And some of us have some different opinions. So I tend to have some fairly unpopular opinions about all sorts of things. Well, I didn't read... Only, you've only trickled it out last time that... Um, what, about Girl in the Fireplace? Yeah, but you didn't like it. Have I not ranted about this before? No. It is such a horrible episode. It's all about the um, the doctor grooming a six year old kid. Well, I've always thought this. <laughs> you see, I, this is my. And it's always been my horse. View. That horse just randomly appears from nowhere for no reason. The special effects, other than the fact that it makes a good visual. No, I've said this for years that the doctor effectively falls in love with a five year old girl because he's. See, I don't think think he does initially. I think it's calculated and grooming to start with. It's a, it's a while since I've seen it, but I. I I got the impression that it was all done as a manipulation to get her to help him. And along the way, he becomes... Infatuated. Yeah. But initially, I think it's a manipulation that turns into grooming. <laughs> you see, I love that as a viewpoint. I'm, 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 it's just horrible and creepy. And the clockwork robots, I actually really like. Mm. But the, the whole time travel bit of the story doesn't make logical sense. The horse irritates me because it's there purely because it it looks dramatic and it was there as an advert. It wasn't but, a terribly convincing advert even then. But the underlying story is very, very creepy. And having a non-who perspective, and particularly a non-who female perspective, would be really interesting on that. Oh, one of the not-we. I, I think I might actually save that segment. That might just make a, li- a nice little bit. I wasn't intending to... Keep this bit. What, save the segment about the girl in the fireplace? Because we are actually starting to generate, not so much outtakes, but deleted scenes now. There were a few... Oh, you said there was stuff from the War Games. Yeah, and... um, And yet you left in the bit with the sonic screwdriver twice. I think that's only because it cropped up twice in the story. He he whips it out in the first episode, and then about seven or eight episodes later. Yeah, but our comments are almost almost word for word. My bad, my bad. I can't can't even remember what the deleted scenes were, but they segued just a little bit too far. It was, um, it didn't really fit with anything else at all. It wasn't so. But I thought this is too good to because they're quite sizable chunks. They're a couple of minutes apiece. I Hmm. thought, not wasting that. Is it something that would fit on the showreel? I don't know. I do like the suggestions you've been sending through, though. I've been trawling through and. I think, oh, I must remember that. But I've been in the car or on the hop or something and not written it down and so I've the, forgotten. Yeah, the bits I really like, the RP, particularly the uh, they going onto the base and hush, hush, and chat. Um, <laughs> that follows on pretty much directly from the original mention about RP and we don't actually lay into Paula too much, which we, is awful. Um, I can't quite believe she gets away as lightly as she does. I thought... Because I'm not cut any of that out. I thought we really gave her some stick. And since then, I've I've really I found out that she was the female lead in the BBC radio production of Day of the Triffids in the 1950s, and apparently she's equally awful in that. I have seen that somewhere as well, but also I've read it must have been on the Quatermass Pit or one of the Quatermass, yeah. one of the face, Facebook groups, but 
I've read somewhere since that she is she was the director's daughter, or the producer's daughter, or something like that, and it was it was trying to get her. In. She had a very very short lived television career. Apparently, I wonder why. Romana is a drag queen. I listened to that today. Isn't it brilliant? Um, <laughs> Morris dancing. We don't know why they do it. Yeah. <laughs> non English listeners, this does happen and we don't know why they do it. That was pretty good, yeah. There will be another, I think, possibly some bits from Castrovelva. God almighty, they won't be long. I've been, in fact, I've been listening to them in the car just for, just because I, I was trying to troll through and it's easier on CD. I've got uh, 7, 10, and 11 if you want to take them with you on CD and listen to them in the car. <laughs> Unless you can connect, you can connect yours directly, can you? It's now been recognised by Podcast Addict, so I can just listen to them whenever I want. I've got them on my Kindle. Marvellous. But yeah, we're on Apple. We're on Apple. Woo-hoo. There were a few, there were a couple of others. You did list them, and I thought that that was great because there, uh, there were a couple of others that I thought of as well. Depending on what it turns out, like the bit where we're talking about Wendy Miller getting pissed, <laughs> I think that could be quite entertaining. <laughs> yes. Some of the stuff from the preventers might be good because I, I seem to remember really enjoying. Mm. I don't remember, even though she's my favourite character from the surviving episodes, I don't remember saying too much about Katie Johnson, the little old lady who's, get, whose house gets destroyed in Quatermass Experiment. And no, Hen- it's just... Henry was brave too. Must have been too busy talking about yeah. other stuff. Because I'm quite glad that nominations aren't open yet. Pit, I've only just started, but it mm. sounds quite good so far. And from, from memory, we had lots to say about mm. it. So that'll be a full one, which, much as I like tapping in the extras and, you know, it's a nice way of, of showcasing little extra bits and keeping it varied, the full episodes where we just talk about the subject matter are by far and away my favourite ones. Well, I was thinking about The Abominable Snowman, mm-hmm. and I was thinking we could do a full, uh, we could do a full commentary for episode two. And then we could do the Abominable Snowmen film. Which is Nigel Neal. Ah. It was originally a Nigel Neal BBC TV play, which was put out live. Right. And there's a wonderful story about how, because it it went on past half past nine, one of the cleaners starts cleaning up. So in the final dramatic scenes, you can see somebody sweeping away the snow in the background. And he was absolutely bollocked for it, and he did it again the next night. It doesn't. It doesn't exist in the archives. Oh, it, it was put out live. It was never telerecorded, but because it was seen to be so good, it was the third Nigel Neal that was made into a a Hammer film after Quatermass Experiment and Quatermass Two. <laughs> but because it was a TV play and at ninety minutes, <coughs> it was basically a like for like remake. Right. So it's like watching a big budget version of the play as went out, mm. whereas Quatermass Experiment and Quatermass 2 were quite heavily cut down. So I was, I was thinking we could do A Bonnable Snowman Episode 2, and then that, yeah, and, then Wheel in, uh, and then Web of Fear 1 and 6. Fine. Or... Well, Web of Fear, that, that's got to be one on its own. Or do those two, Web of Fear on its own. Yeah, maybe fear on its own. Because the abominable snowman, I can imagine that although it'll be nice, there'll still be room at the end, and we can slip in a, a Debbie Watling bit of a bit of her interview. Um, although we were talking about doing that with Evil. Yes, um, but again, it, the Debbie Watling interview that'll be a two part thing. They're all. I, I don't want them to go over ten minutes because a it starts diluting us. Although it is something that we've recorded, and it's a nice snippet. It's not us. Yeah, but I think the orphan episodes. 
Because we've got all the soundtracks, we can still talk about the soundtracks, and you'll, I presume you must have them all at home. And I've got all the missing ones, so... The thing I was thinking, because I was saying, well, we'll do a couple of episodes of Moonbase 2 and a couple of episodes of Space Cops, and that can be a Moonbase yeah. thing. But there are other TV series set on Moonbase. Space 1999. Yes. And UFO. Oh, is it? I, yeah. I don't know anything about UFO, really. UFO had a, had a Moonbase, and there are episodes that are set specifically on Moonbase. It's the alien defence thing, so they, most of it is set in England. Mm. But there's also a moon base and a submarine base. There are episodes and parts of episodes set on either of those. Right. And there's quite a nice one where their submarine crashes, and it's, it's a bit sort of disaster movie-ish. Mm. Um, and if we ever do an underwater one, it would be quite nice to do that. Oh, City Beneath the Sea. And there's the Omega Mystery. That's quite fun. I mean, that's not underwater, that's... Um, that's on an ocean liner, but it, it, it still works. Right. We probably better crack on. Yes. It'll be midnight before you're setting off. Oh, no, I'd be lynched. <laughs> I'd be absolutely lynched by the time I got home. While we were recording episode 33, we managed to record two tonic screwdriver segments. Never wants to waste a drink. Here's our unused gin review. What have we got for tonight? Well, tonight we have St Ives Gin, which is a small batch gin from Cornwall. And it is a cold compound Cornish gin infused with 13 secret botanicals gathered from the Cornish, Cornish coastline, cottage garden and cliff top, proudly showcasing locally foraged gorse flowers, kelp and freshly cut herbs. Are we believing that? What are we, what are we tasting here? It's not particularly gorsey to me because I, I I do like a nice gorse gin. Those Scottish oh, gins, truth, that's a bit. Uh, it's up to your usual standard of mixing, but it could actually do with a, do- a drop more tonic. That that's a strong gin. Oh, I I thought it was fairly fairly bland to be honest. I'm not I'm not getting a really big hit of any kind of botanicals off it. So certainly not gorse, and it, it's not a patch on curio, which is the other no, Cornish gin that we did. I'm just going to get a top-up, which has vaguely improved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm not particularly impressed, but uh, this will be perfectly honest. I mean, it, it, it's nice enough. Um, I've gone out of my way to find it again. No, if, you, if it was placed in front of you, you'd drink it, and you wouldn't turn your nose up at it. No. Um, it's I'm going to give it this. It's a three, yeah. I'll go with that. Yeah, three is fair. To round us off, we have a collection of outtakes, a Doctor Who commentary and an unused version of the Drag Queen Index jingle, along with the original ending to Pride 2019 in our 21st edition. So how long was that episode then? An hour. You can tell something's good when it feels like five minutes. Mm. Well, to me it's good anyway, but all the professional kit then. Oh, we do our best. I used to ensure musicians as part of the family business. Ah. And whenever I see a microphone... I always think for a group called Rock Pitch, which was a lesbian rock group, <laughs> that had countless claims of microphones due to water damage. <laughs> have you felt a microphone? That uh, yes, I have seen. I've seen plenty of Shure SM58s go through on a claim form in my time. <laughs> I can think of better things to rod myself out with. Be a bit scratchy. It depends if you've got the foam on. <laughs> <laughs> and the pop shield, of course. Don't you mean it depends how long the foam stays on? <laughs> yes. Well, to go fishing for it. 
Oh, don't. Oh. I've, I've had to do that with weak old tampons, and it's really not a pleasant experience. I'm sorry to say, I've found them myself in a, <laughs> in a non-professional capacity, and it's, it's not a pleasant conversation to have. Anyway, I'm recording in three... <laughs> Come on, professional now, honestly. And scene... Hello everyone, and a very warm welcome to the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And we are joined tonight by... <laughs> <laughs> Let's get the corpsing out of the way, come on, get out of your system. <laughs> and we are joined tonight by... That would be you. <laughs> Sorry. Bit of giggles. And I'm Alan Fogg. That's it. That's it. That's all you've got to say. It's fine. You can just chip in when you feel like. No. <laughs> and I'm Alan Fogg. <laughs> Sorry. Are we having fun? Before we start episode two. Yes. Get off. It's only gin. It's nothing unpleasant. <laughs> it, it's not gin. Whatever this is, it isn't gin. No, I was actually uh, just letting Alan know that any damp patches on his tissue were only... <laughs> they were only chin drips. It's uh, like if you two a moment alone. <laughs> oh, get the top off and pour something better. That was <laughs> Is that the best they could come up with for Pride? I was, I'm really well, disappointed. Actually, considering how... how... <coughs> How bland and commercialised Pride is these days. It's actually quite a good metaphor for it. I'm really disappointed. I yeah, just so am I, but I've got some nice gin that we'll have. Fantastic. Well, shall we review the Pink Pepper next time? The, later on in the Yeah, end? it's Pink Pepper that I'm thinking of, so... Yeah, may, may as well. Right. Right. Top up. Yeah, we'll, and uh, we'll crack on the second episode. So without further ado, Ron VT on episode two. Yeah, uh, yes, what are we on? Good um, grief, you're lost for words. I am lost. It's, it doesn't happen doesn't often. We've, we've caught it on tape. Plot. Fire away. There's a plot? Apparently, yes. Right, so we've just watched episode two of Man in, in an Orange Shirt. Fuck off. <laughs> You're not funny. Take two. <laughs> oh no, that's staying in. You, you, you'll get to know the, the format. It's not even like the early days of Doctor Who, where if you, if you swear, then it cuts the scene out. <laughs> right. Episode two of Man in an Orange Shirt. We've got man in a ruptured spleen in the corner of the sofa. See, I still like metrosexuality. Mm. Oh, no, I think you, you're in a minority of one on that. Yeah. Uh, metrosexuality is the least fun of the evening. The only thing that genuinely annoyed me about that, uh, there was a line in it about... Pink pubes. No, I actually thought the pink pubes line was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that was um, one of the characters... Gay, but never actually had an experience yet. And Noel Clark says, how do you know you're gay if you've not had sex with anybody? Well, I was born with pink pubes, and that was that was what gave it away. I thought that was a great line, actually, the way it was delivered. <laughs> no, the one thing that annoyed me was that horrible thing that you get with particularly black comedians. Everybody hates us because we're black. Well, I, my heckles weren't up until you said that, because I'd not even thought it. And means, you've yeah. just highlighted the fact that you're black, which I hadn't properly really registered as a thing before now, and you've just gone on the offensive 
because you automatically think people hate you because you're black. Well, I didn't until you brought bloody politics into it, and now all I can think is your back's up against white people. It's just, it doesn't need to be said. Within 30 seconds, certainly a minute of any black comedian's routine, this is 2019, it really shouldn't be like this, they will have mentioned being black and oppressed, and it really, really annoys me because, partly because I don't think like that about black people or anybody of any race, but mainly because the whole point of this equality that we've got going on Everybody's equal. If everybody's equal, it doesn't need to be mentioned. But bear in mind, this is a TV programme from 1999. Yeah, I know. And the particular line that you're talking about is recounting a conversation from when a pushing 40-year-old character was a teenager. So you're looking at the attitudes of the late 60s, early 70s, which yes, would I'm be not, entirely accurate. I'm not knocking it. But me and you have both watched enough Archive TV now to see that attitudes have changed. The Corridor People, episode four, you may well hang your head. I wasn't Just planning to, but go on. <sighs> Is it the gay thing then? Corridor People, I'll show you the Corridor People sometime. You may regret asking. It probably not your cup of tea. Ignore him, he has no idea what he's talking about. It's a wonderful piece of television. <laughs> no, the Corridor People episode four was littered with um, uh, casual racism, shall we say. Attitudes well, the thing have about changed. the Corridor People episode four, and we're segueing massively here, is that if you look at all of the racism, none of it comes from the white characters. It bloody does. It doesn't. It, who's the um, MI5 chief, whatever the hell he is? Cronk. Cronk, yeah. He calls them something. I forget now, but Kronk does use a word. He does. The overt racism in that in that episode comes from the um, the black character. He does use it, but it's it's done ironically. Anyway, it, it I'm was, not talking about the corridor people. You're well, not you, getting away with this again. You were the one that started off talking about the corridor people. I did, but I regret it. Anyway. Dragging us back to this. This is the whole 90s sort of black oppression thing. Yes, you were coming out of the 80s, the whole riots thing, and it was, it's not a happy period in history. Unfortunately, that is still persisting today, and it's the only thing that sets my teeth on edge. Yeah. Because I just think, don't mention, please don't mention it, because a lot of people wouldn't have been thinking that until you mentioned it, and now all of a sudden you've got people's backs up over something you're trying to suppress. That's just my personal feeling on it. Do you think it would have got somebody's back up 20 years ago? Probably more than now, if I'm honest. Oh, OK. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think because you... Racism's been around, and in both directions. This is my point. Racism exists in both directions, and always has. But now we really should have learned from this. Don't fucking mention it. Mm. But you're talking about attitudes now when we're looking at a 20-year-old TV program. No, but what I mean is that still persists now. Yeah. And I think that, really, we should have got over this by now. But that doesn't alter the fact that what we're looking at is something from 20 years ago, describing, at the time, a 20-year-old yes, conversation. Yes, yeah, right. I'll just continue sipping my gin. You carry on with the rest of this. Oh, he's got his preach face on. Yeah, his glass is dry, that's the problem. <laughs> to round off, and to bring Alan fully into the fold, are we going to do what we said we'd do? Are we going to have a three-way who commentary? You don't have a say in this, mate. Oh, I do. <laughs> I think it would be very entertaining. 
We'll lube you up first. <laughs> <laughs> I think you two already are. <laughs> yes. As I said to Simon before, what's the gayest Doctor Who story we can think of? And you said... My, my thought is the Happiness Patrol. Uh, I can't think of anything that's more... Let me have a little look on the shelf. <coughs> I think Happiness Patrol is going to be our best bet. Why are you saying that on all fours? Because <laughs> I'm looking at the DVDs. <laughs> well, all I know is it's 20 past one and I'm just about... Is it? Yeah. Bloody hell, when did that happen? The only other thing I can think of Either is... Happiness Patrol or episode one of Black Orchid. No, Happiness Patrol wins hands down. We've not done them quite yet. Time in the Rani? Uh, it's still Happiness Patrol, really. It's just in case you can't find Happiness Patrol. No, oh, no, he knows exactly where it is. Oh, right. Yeah. It's right next to Remembrance of the Daleks. Well, if you want a really entertaining commentary, Time Lash. Yeah, that's 45 minutes, though. He'll be, <sighs> yeah, he'll be dead by then. Gone, gone. Happiness Patrol? Yeah, we better add. It's got um, uh, Sheila Hancock in it. Mm -hmm. That's it's as good. much as I can sell it with okay. you. Okay. has drag queens as well. Is this black and white? No. No, no this is very, very colour. Very colour. This is as colour as it gets. Was it only a three-parter? Oh, I just realised it, yeah. So Planet of Giants isn't the only three-parter? Oh, no, there were... Um, in the McCoy era, there were all 12-part series. There were a 12-part. Oh, so, so are these 45-minute episodes? No. Right, because things was... like The Two Doctors are three parts, but they're three... No. By the time we got to McCoy, there were a mix of two and three-parters. Two two-four-parters, two three-parters. So I think Dragonfire is only three. Paradise Towers is four. Ghostlight is three. Survival's three. Okay, here we go. Help geek to you. <laughs> As a special treat for Alan, we are recording a full commentary for The Happiness Patrol, the Doctor Who episode from 1988, part one. And since we don't normally watch Doctor Who at home, this is going to be an experience for you. Well, I'm sure I'll forget. Happiness Patrol 1 scene is difficult to forget. Okay. The sets, are, the sets look brilliant. I mean, yeah. they're, they're very clearly a set rather yeah. than a street, but the sets are almost sort of Dr. Caligari ish. Yeah, they, they are. Yes. Was she Carla Lane? I don't know. Oh, from the Liverpool thing. Um, that's not actually Carla Lane, sure. No, 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 no. From a. a Secret from one of the Carla Lane comedies. Uh, I, I'm not over familiar with either butterflies or bread. I'm not a killjoy. I don't think she was in bread. Interested? That was the one I was thinking of. Yeah, it's a shame really because the, the sets are very clearly sets and not very good ones either. Yeah, it gives them a sort of pantomime quality. Yeah. 
McCoy's always been terribly underrated as a doctor. Your third best. He was buried away on Monday nights opposite Coronation Street, and as a result, the general perception is he's a bit crap. But if you actually watch his performance, it's not bad at all. Yeah. I like your initiative, your enterprise. I'll see that you go far. I'm aiming for the top. Not quite a very top, I hope. Who's she? That is oh, yes. John Thor's wife. Yeah. We don't. Yes, by a long way. No nicknames, aliases, pseudonyms, non-diplomes, real names. John Normington from the Caves of Androzani. Yes, Morgus. It is. Isn't she the Hancock we saw in London? Oh, yes, on um, Barking in Essex. Yes, I didn't recognise him with the caked on makeup. Now, when we do the Drag Queen Index, yes. that will overload the... The obvious scale. Even the TARDIS rates on the Drag Queen Index in this one. Something very nasty is happening here. Look what ah. you've done. Oh, she was in Teabag. Yeah, she was the second Tabitha bag. Replaced Elizabeth Estenson. I'm glad you're happy. I mean, the thing I know her from is Preachers Perverted. Don't know that at all. It's hilarious. It's British comedy. It's kind of carry-on fetish scene. Carry-on fetish. It's absolutely hilarious. She's got a very odd voice. It's very nasal. Yeah. John Nathan Turner vetoed the request for a more generous set. Yeah, regretting it later, feeling that the sets look tacky. I wonder why. Do. This is the way to be said. That's, um, there aren't any prisoners on Alpha. Dear John, wasn't she? So there's absolutely. And no Cindy Johnson's at first went out. She she was the um, the group organizer. Remember, were there any sexual problems? This I, is. I love Dear John. Yeah, I was. I wasn't even ten when Dear John went out, but I do remember watching it. Well, there was an American version, wasn't it, with, with Judd Hirsch? Could be. Yeah. See, if the sets were better, or if it was more clearly outdoors, or if it was supposed to be a, a colony building, they could have excused a lot of it, but it's all supposed to be street. God, this is going to send me to sleep. Now, now, this is culture. Is that That's the Candyman. Who incredibly always looked bloody silly. Bassett's sued for infringement of copyright, mm. and somehow the BBC won that it wasn't. Yes. How much tomato? Uh... A vat of industrial thickener and red dye. There's a programme guide by Jean-Marc Lefissier that um, describes this story as the doctor flexing his muscles by bringing down the government in one night. Which I think is about the best description of a Doctor Who story I've ever read. Doesn't mention Fifi though, does it? You haven't seen Fifi yet. Is that a dog? Kind of. Oh dear, God, dear John was 1986. Oh yeah, it was early. The Candyman has, has since come back in a recent Eighth Doctor series called Ravenous. I've not heard it yet. 
Ah, uh, the go-kart scene. Gary Downey worried that someone would get run over, as Sylvester McCoy and Sophie Aldridge played with it during takes, using up precious fuel. The same Gary Downey that gave us the wonderful Doctor Who recipe book. Oh, look, it's Fifi. What the hell is he doing? I'm not sure. Is that Leslie Dunlop? Yes. She was in a series with um, Anton Rogers. May to December. May to December, which I remember quite enjoying. And then it uh, migrated to radio after it had finished on television. They carried it on. Other Happiness Patrol had full as earth mixed into their makeup, giving them a cracked makeup effect, but not Susie Q. Sylvester McCoy called this metal pen-like device his sonic screwdriver. Now, that's the second time in the past few stories we've watched where the Doctor really has been missing his sonic screwdriver. The other time was in The Awakening. Yeah. Happiness Patrol undercover. Oh, excellent. Perhaps you could take a message. What a real pity the sets aren't better. They just... It lets everything down. Um, it, it does. Um, would it be that much better a story if the sets were great? Yeah, I mean, it'd be better, but... I mean, it's quite a comedy story in tongue-in-cheek. But again, I've said this before. What if it had been done on film? Or if the sets were were just that bit more stylized, so mm. a, a much more Dr. Caligari look to them. So making it very clear that it's a not just a set, but a, a, a caricature of a set. His skin should... Ah, the, the description of the Candyman's quite different. Chubby with a... A skin made of sugar and a white lab coat. Now this is where they've gone with the big finish audio. Yeah. No, the big finish audio. That's the pretty much the look they've gone for. Welcome to the trendy kitchen. The doctor being threatened by Bertie Bassett. Possibly the gayest ending we've ever had. How did you enjoy that? Shite. Oh, no, that's terribly harsh. Managed to stay awake. <laughs> um, managed to stay awake. That's possibly the uh, worst Daily Star review of Doctor Who I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Not as bad as some that I've seen. Yeah, almost tolerable. 
That's going to be the funniest thing this evening. Oh, Rick and Steve is winning outright. Happiness Patrol as the campus thing. I think that might be winning for camp. And we haven't done it yet. Siri? You have no interest in women, but you are not a homosexual. Name your price. What's our drag queen index? Oh, on this, it's five. Five out of five. I'm giving the tidiest five out of five. Huge shoulder pads, massively unconvincing makeup, um, overblown femininity, and phenomenal resting bitch face. It's got to be five out of five, obvious. Story, I don't remember it being particularly good... And this rewatch hasn't disappointed it. No. It's entertaining. I, it's I know some... people who bang on about it being a terribly clever allegory of uh, Thatcher's Britain. Bloody, bloody, bloody. No, bloody no, blood. I think it's. They, you're doing the same thing that I do in my head. Are you not talking about Paradise Towers? Yeah, that was shit as well. You see, I've got quite a soft spot for Paradise Towers. No, with a red, that way. red, blue, and yellow kangs are sort of taken as the three political parties. But I remember at the time, bear in mind at the time I was, what was I, nine, when Paradise Towers was out. It scared the shit out of me with the um, robot clip. Bear in, but you would have been a I'd good been, ten years I'd older. I'd been 18, 19, yeah. and I just thought it was a bit shit. Yeah. And um, I suspect would still think it's a bit shit. I haven't seen it for a long time. So uh, I haven't seen it since it was out on VHS. My opinion may have changed. But no, as a kid, I, I loved Paradise Towers. Happiness Patrol, yeah. See, I kind of remember Happiness Patrol being cleverer than that was. Maybe it's because we haven't seen the whole, thing, seen the whole and, thing, and um, it all it would all come together in episode three. But it's not really inspiring me to watch anymore. I wasn't wildly impressed by what we have watched. Uh, it's not the best example we've watched. It's a bit M- McCoy varies wildly between up and down. There's not really any middle ground with McCoy. Yeah, and there's a whole lot of sort of gurning action response faces to not an awful lot of action. You get a gun pointed at you and you gurn. To, I think, to be fair to McCoy, though... I wasn't thinking McCoy, I was thinking of Silas P, who was dreadful. Yeah, but they do the best with the script they're given, and it's not a brilliant script. Yeah, and he was he did a terrible job with what he was given. Because there were reactions that he could yeah. do, particularly that bit at the end where, oh, you're looking terribly sad, Silas P. And it was just gurning at the camera. Yeah. Georgina Hale, I quite like. Yeah, but it's that bloody voice. I oh, see, I, I know her from things like Budgie, and she she's not particularly prolific, but she's memorable whenever she does turn up. Mm. She's excellent in preaching to perverted. So, Alan, what did you think? Oh, if uh, the Honourable Gentleman the Commons earlier managed to stay awake, not good. <laughs> Shite. <laughs> yeah. The normal response is, what the fuck have you just made me watch? Oh, we've got a lot to get through. There's uh, there's well over 900 episodes now. Mm, no, if I can think of more enjoyable things to be doing. Thank you. Maybe yeah. I could do a, pod- a brand new podcast where we watch Doctor Who from the start. It's not going to happen. <laughs> no. 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 There's no enthusiasm from the corner of the city. I leave the room when Doctor Who comes on. Earlier this week, I've been to see Toy Story 4. Oh, and I'm sorry. No, 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 no. The Toy Story series is a masterstroke of filmmaking. It varies fr- within minutes from tear-jerking to outright hilarity, and Toy Story 4 is no different. It was a wonderful film that uh, made us laugh out loud. 
To be fair, I've never seen a single Toy Story film. Yeah, oh, so. they get progressively better. Um, they peak with the third one, and the fourth one is very, very, very good. But nothing's made me laugh like Rick and Steve, as long as I can remember. Boys and girls, hunt that one down. You will not be disappointed. Hilarious it, stuff. It, it is fun. The, that was a setting the scene episode. Later episodes are better. <laughs> Well, that tidies up the cutting room floor for 2019 and just goes to show that nothing gets wasted in a podcast except the presenters. Thanks for listening, boys and girls, and we'll be back with a regular edition next time. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, and the title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rushton, Lancashire and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Facebook.